Welcome to today's conversation. Very excited to see you here. As always, lots of things happening in the cryptocurrency markets today. I want to be talking about the price of Bitcoin, what's going on with the Bitcoin markets, what are some interesting indicators to look at, what are some possible predictions. Of course, we have a new prediction out from Pantera, Pantera Capital. That is not the not the not the rock band. Also, some big Solana news for you looking at some of the recent AI news, what's going on with NVIDIA, what's going on with the new big ARM IPO, and also digging into what the BRICS group has been up to because there's some really big things afoot for the world order, which we're getting into. Very exciting stuff today. So great to see you here if you're joining on the live here on YouTube. Of course, for those joining in on the podcast, on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, welcome as well. Shout out to everyone on Twitter too, or X. I guess we're calling it X now. We also live stream these conversations over there as well. Okay, let's get into some exciting news. The price of Bitcoin, WTF, is happening right now with Bitcoin. What are the indicators to look at? What are the market moving events that are coming up? There's a lot of market moving events, potentially both good and bad coming up. Whether we want to talk about what happens if Grayscale wins their case, what happens if BlackRock is their Bitcoin ETF, what happens with a lot of situations. We want to take a look at the charts here and some of the more fundamental things that are affecting the price of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin markets right now. And it's been a pretty crazy year. Overall, we've seen the price of Bitcoin rallying up this year, going absolutely crazy. Markets got very excited for a short amount of time, and then things started going sideways again. Things started going wrong. What happened? What happened? The new paradigm of money was supposed to be here with BlackRock, man, and then things unwind. But that's markets. That's markets. That is what happens so frequently. We see hype, build, price, move, and then it takes a while for things to actually play out the way we want them to. So let's take a look at the chart here, talk a little bit about the price of Bitcoin. So very interesting price action recently. This is on the weekly chart here for Bitcoin. We can see that Bitcoin has, for the moment, for the moment, still a lot of stuff that could go on here. But for the moment, we can see that the price of Bitcoin has bounced at a very key line of price support. And that key line of price support, of course, is right around $26,000. You could argue it goes down a little bit lower. But very interesting to see the current price action, really all the way down to $25,000, I think, really validates this current move. So we've seen two candles come down to around $25,000 recently. Of course, we had one back in June, right before the BlackRock news was announced. We had another uh, just last week. And of course, this week we saw a similar move down for the price of Bitcoin. The RSI for Bitcoin, very interestingly, still just kind of middle of the road. Lots of room for that to develop on a weekly time frame to go much, much higher. So it still feels like early days here for the RSI for Bitcoin. What's interesting right now is that I find we are in this strange place for Bitcoin where it's a bit of a battle right now between a double top and a potential double bottom. Now, the double bottom also has the potential, if it breaks down further, to confirm that double top thesis. So the idea here would be that in middle of April, we put in our first top here for Bitcoin. 
around $31,000. Things subsided. Price went down. BlackRock News came up and gave us that second top. Price stayed high-ish for about a month, around $31,000 before, of course, coming back down, making that classic M pattern that you look for in a double top. Right now, we are sitting on the neckline. A further price breakdown from here could see the price potentially move down as low as around $20,000. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen, obviously. If we bounce from here, that gives us the potential for this to have actually been forming up as a double bottom, which would be very, very interesting if it plays out. Because we can see we had a bottom right around the same area that we're at right now back in mid-June. So the price came down to around $26,000, currently priced down around $26,000. What we need to see now, though, over the next few weeks is a recovery, a push-up, and, of course, a break over $31,000, which would become uh, the neckline up to say that this is a valid double bottom pattern. So we're kind of stuck in a weird area right now for the price of Bitcoin, but that's where we've been for so many months, and the BlackRock news to get everyone excited, but it hasn't really moved the needle much in terms of really breaking us out of this wider range that we've been in for a much longer time frame. Realistically, we're still just in the, the price range that we've been in since March, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Lots of sideways action has been playing out here in the markets. It's pretty wild, actually, to see. Let me know what you think. Are we looking at a potential double top scenario with a breakdown to 20K? Or could we be forming up for a double bottom scenario with a break higher in the coming weeks? Certainly a lot of macro fears right now from the rumors of new lockdowns to really all kinds of macro fear. Stock markets are going to go down. Bond markets are breaking. All that kind of stuff. It's weighing very heavily on markets and Bitcoin's not immune to this kind of stuff. So just keep that in mind. Right. So interestingly, on the daily, the daily RSI here for Bitcoin, I want to point this out. Bitcoin at, currently at the time of recording, we're still holding that $26,000 line. But the RSI is still pretty heavily oversold for Bitcoin on the daily charts. Now, I want to point out historically, historically historical performance does not indicate future results, obviously. But historically, when we've seen Bitcoin reaching these kinds of oversold readings on the daily charts, has been a good time to buy. I bought some Bitcoin yesterday, but I buy Bitcoin basically every week. So, you know, it's not anything particularly special, to be honest. But I do buy Bitcoin on a regular basis. But I felt good buying Bitcoin yesterday, knowing how oversold the RSI is and knowing that it's likely a better time to be buying than of course it was a few weeks ago when it was at 31k i bought then too because i'm a good dollar cost averaging in but the point is is that this is a buying opportunity according to what the charts are telling us again lots of macro fears right now that are keeping people out of the markets also, I want to point this out. I thought this is very interesting. So this is a look at the 200-week exponential moving average. Now, you can look at the 200-week simple moving average as well. I find over recent time, I tend to prefer the EMA a bit more, but they line up relatively closely. The key point here is that when the price of Bitcoin, if we go right back, right back, when the price of Bitcoin either trades below or around 
the 200-day exponential moving average has historically been a good time to buy Bitcoin. Now, that was true back in 2014 and into 2015, where the price hovered basically for quite a while, right around the 200-week EMA before, of course, the massive rally took off. And you had a ch you had a quite a big chance there to buy Bitcoin for around two to $300 for almost a year before, of course, the price took off to $20,000. You could look again here at 2018, 2019. You had ample opportunities, ample, ample opportunities here to buy Bitcoin under $4,000. Quite a while, actually. You had from November 18 until April 19. And then, of course, the price went up to about $14,000 in 2019. And then later on, up to $65,000, $69,000 as the bull market peak came in. So you had the chance to buy under $4,000 for a while. Buying under the 200-week EMA was an opportunity. And then, of course, we had the COVID crash. Again, sent the price under the 200-week EMA. You had a great chance to buy under $6,000 in that situation. So the question then is, has this recent price action where we saw Bitcoin trading under $25,000 for quite a long time under the 200-week EMA. Was that a great buying opportunity? Or is a new global Great Depression coming and Bitcoin's going to $12,000 like we see a lot of voices calling for nowadays, which I don't agree with. By the way, I don't see a $12,000 price in the near future for Bitcoin. Hey, I'm always ready to be surprised, but uh, I don't see it personally. However, right now we are again, once again retesting the 200-week EMA, which, again, historically has been an opportunity for buying. Will it be this time? We shall see, of course. Now, by the way, before we continue on to the other charts, just a quick note. If you are a cryptocurrency trader, you do have to get yourself an account over at Bybit. It is the best place to be trading futures, to be doing spot altcoin trading. They have a super popular copy trading service as well. If you use the link down below in the description to start your Bybit account, you're going to get exclusive fee discounts and exclusive bonuses as well, up to $30,000 in trading and deposit bonuses, depending on how much you deposit and the volume of trading that you do. So if you are a trader, Go ahead and check it out. Now, I want to take a look at this chart here. I like this one. This has been shared by Blockchain Backer. He says, I'm all for screaming doom time for Bitcoin should the stock market fall apart. I expect it one day. But screaming for the cliche 12K after every pullback is getting a bit old. Until Bitcoin breaks under 24.7, it's on pace with 2015, which I found very interesting. Basically, if you take the chart of the current price action, overlay it with the price action of 2015, you find some very interesting parallels here where we spend nine months under resistance, where we have a break above that resistance line now turns into support. Of course, when that happened in 2015, well, we saw the price make a nice move higher. We haven't had that nice move higher. We're still hanging pretty close to support. But if we have a similar reaction in the markets, and you got to remember what, why, why we see patterns playing out similarly in markets, nothing ever exactly repeats, but all you see similarities in markets is because the one factor that never really changes the markets is you and me. And it doesn't matter whether you're just a regular dude, whether you're a content creator, whether you're a hedge fund manager, whether you're a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever, the vast majority of people in the market react approximately the same to market movements. 
That's why we see technical analysis being relevant. Interesting as well, I want to share this with you. So right now you're just, you're feeling this vibe, the sentiment, you're seeing it on your timeline, you're seeing people talk about it, you're seeing the media talk about it. We have a super, super duper mega recession. The new Great Depression is coming. The, the rapture is here, my friends. The end of all things is coming. Repent now. And yet, and yet, the U.S. GDP forecast for the next quarter is coming in at 5.9%. Bears are in disbelief at that kind of number. I, I really feel like they almost need to push out some, uh, some new lockdowns or something like that to, to crash the economy like they've been trying to do with these interest rate hikes. They've been trying. They've been trying. They, they, they want so bad for you to lose your job, to shut down your small business, to take your home away from you the stated goal of what Jerome Powell said, there's going to be a little bit of pain. That little bit of pain means a lot of pain for regular people. Not for, not for the rich. Don't, don't worry, guys. The rich people in Washington, D.C. and in New York, the bankers and stuff, they're going to be okay. I know you're worried about them, but they're going to be okay. You're screwed, but they'll be okay. Crazy, though, because you can't really have a recession when you have a GDP forecast of 5.9%. Recession means your economy is going down, not going up by 5.9%. Again, bears in disbelief. It's crazy stuff. But the world is now sitting around waiting for one man, one man to tell us what's going to happen with the money. We're going to tell our kids stories about this, you know. I hope so, anyway. Back when I was a young man, we had central bankers, and they would sit around and tell us what's going to happen to the money. It's a crazy system, man. Anyway, uh, tomorrow is the Jackson Hole meeting where Jerome Powell is going to come out and give his little speech, and I think the markets are really waiting on a very sort of fine balance around this because if he comes out with even a slightly dovish tone now we're, we're tone we're looking at the tone what's the tone of the fed chief what's the words that he's using is he being overly hawkish overly dovish just just give it to a straight jerome don't don't be so fluffy with your language man everyone's gonna of course dissect every single word that he says why'd he pause there why did he cough there what happened Markets are looking for any kind of narrative, good or bad, right now. And the Fed's going to give it to us tomorrow. And there's a lot of worry that because inflation went from 3% to 3.2%, that the Fed's going to have reason to hike rates up once again. More. I mean, we're already expecting another rate hike coming up. But this would be rate hikes higher for longer. That's the worry of the market right now. I want to share this with you. This is a Bitcoin price prediction from Pantera Capital. Pantera, they're 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 uh, definitely highly involved in the crypto space, and of course, they are bulls on the market. They are calling for Bitcoin to thirty five thousand dollars by the time of the Bitcoin halving, which is not a lot of dramatic price action between now and April of next year. I still think we could see that rally up to forty eight k. May not happen. But I think it could happen. Then, of course, things cool off. Maybe we get back down to 35K around the time of the Bitcoin halving. Their end price for the bull market, $147,843. I love the specificity of that. I've been looking at 150K. It's 
my opinion on the matter. But interesting, this, of course, we're looking at diminishing returns from cycle to cycle, right? So first big rally, we had 9,200% returns. Next one, 2,900%. After that, 679%. They're predicting 317% returns from the time of the Bitcoin halving to the time of the market peak at $147,800. I dig it. Feels like a realistic prediction. Let me know what you think. Is that a realistic prediction to see a Bitcoin peak price for the next cycle at 148K? Or is just, you know, all the Bitcoin ETF stuff is just too bullish. We're going to see prices go way higher than that. Let me know your opinion. Also, I want to share this with you because it's some pretty crazy data. The supply of Bitcoin on exchanges has reached a new, I guess, recent low. We're at 5.8% of the supply of Bitcoin currently sitting on exchange. And then the last time, very, very interesting. The last time that we saw the supply of Bitcoin on exchanges being this low was December 2017, particularly December 17th, 2017. That's an interesting date because the high price was on December 18th, 2017. So it's very interesting. One day before that market cycle high was the last time the supply of Bitcoin on exchanges was this low. The sentiment right now, it's kind of been pretty bad. People are bored. People are exhausted. Sentiment's kind of in the gutter. We're really in that phase of like the market can remain irrational longer than you could remain solvent, right? But the reality of what's happening continues every single day. We are seeing more and more spot Bitcoin being bought and taken off of exchanges. It happens every single day. And yeah, I know there's some big events outstanding. What's going to happen with Grayscale Bitcoin Trust? What's going to happen with the Mt. Gox Bitcoin? When are the feds going to sell their Bitcoin? I get it. But the reality is, is that this bear market has been totally unlike previous bear markets. We've seen nonstop buying, whether it be from whales, sharks, fish, shrimp accounts, whatever it might be. Tiny retail buyers have been buying huge amounts of Bitcoin, outstripping the ability of miners to supply them during a bear market, during a bear market, or you can say the earliest stages of a new bull market, which is basically still super bearish vibes, right? Bitcoin is being methodically drained off of exchanges. That number is only continuing to go down. How long until it's 5%? How long until it's 4%? How long until it's 3%, 2%, 1%? And what happens to the price in that situation where the majority, that's already the majority, 70% of Bitcoin is in the hands of long-term holders who have not moved Bitcoin on chain in over a year? Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, man. And I want to share this chart with you here. This just gives you some perspective on how things could play out. Interesting about the psychology of how markets work. This is from uh, at, at the Scalping Pro over here on X. So he says, the chart below shows psychology of the majority of retail investors buying near the top and selling near the bottom. So currently we're at the, it's a bull trap phase. When Bitcoin is at 15, 16K, a lot of people were saying, I'm not gonna buy here, I'm gonna buy lower. 
I know it's at 15K. It's going down to 10. It's going down to 5K. And I heard this the same thing in the last bear market when Bitcoin dropped to 3K. There were so many voices saying it's going to 1K. It's going to 1K. It didn't go to 1K. 3K was a great buying opportunity. So the mentality goes all buy lower at the lows. It's a bull trap. Price is going to come back down. I'll get a chance to buy at 12K again. That number is going to come. Then, of course, you you know, you see things starting to ramp up. People say, that's ah, still below the all-time high. It's going to go back down. Then the fourth phase, when we start getting new high prices, oh, I'm so stupid. Look, I'm going to buy on the next pullback. I'm going to wait for a big correction. You may not get that correction opportunity. Things start moving real fast when it starts moving. Then, of course, the panic comes in. Oh, my gosh, it's going higher. We just, you know, it's $100,000. I got to get on this train before it's too late. Then at the top, thank God I bought. Now pump it. Now I'm a bull. Now it's time to go long. Now it's time to bet more. Now it's time to 100x long with my entire net worth, my kid's college fund, my remortgage, my house, all that stuff. We're going to be billionaires. Then, of course, new paradigm of money moment comes. Media hysterity, hystericalness comes. We see Coinbase, number one app again, all that kind of stuff. And then markets correct. Markets go down. Things cool off. It's very, very problematic how, how fast things can move in the wrong direction. Then it, the denial starts coming. Oh, it's just a small correction. Everything's going to be fine. Then it's oh, just another consolidation before we pump. And then it's, oh, man, crypto is a scam. I better panic. So I got to get out now. I'm only going to take a 50, 60, 70, 80% loss. Then it's, oh, I'm so glad I sold. Time to get out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it repeats. Pretty crazy how market psychology plays out, but it kind of plays out like that time and time again, doesn't it? The question is, what do you do with that knowledge as an investor? Do you decide to be a victim of market cycles and market psychology, or do you decide to not? Do you want to buy low and sell high, or do you want to buy high and sell low? The choice is yours. Now, let's change Let's change pace here a little bit. By the way, shout out, of course, to everyone in the live chat. I see you guys there posting questions and talking to each other and stuff. I love it. We will be taking questions, of course, at the end of the stream, as always. So stick around. We got some more great stories to cover. We got Solana to talk about. We got Bricks to talk about. We got NVIDIA to talk about. Lots of stuff going on here in the market. So chat to each other. Have a good time. And for those, of course, who are joining on the YouTube stream, if you're listening to this later, on the podcast make sure to come and join us sometime for the live anyway let's talk about solana solana the comeback kid they've been doing a lot of stuff recently last week has seen a lot of really big news for solana and i know i know when solana was down it was easy to kick solana when it was down Things were pretty bad in the market. FTX just collapsed, which is a major benefactor of the, um, a patron of the Solana ecosystem, if you will. But Solana has moved from strength to strength to strength. They've been doing a lot of big things. And I want to cover some of those big news stories with you here today because Solana might be worth paying attention to as we move into the next cycle. I know there's a lot of like new Solana competitors. There's Aptos and there's Sui and like 10 other chains. But... Chains build moats around them, and Solana did manage to capture a lot of attention, a lot of partnerships, a lot of users over the past few years. 
And these new chains have to start from scratch. Now, maybe Solana gets blockbustered by a better chain. But maybe they have a big stake in the future bull run. Well, let's talk about some of the news going on here. The first big story is that Shopify has teamed up with Solana Pay. So this is from the Solana account. Today, Solana Pay integrates with Shopify, empowering the millions of entrepreneurs and merchants on Shopify to accept fast Web3 native payments with no transaction fees throughout the end of 2023. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, this is a big story because... As Patrick Hansen points out, Shopify accounts for 10% of the total U.S. e-commerce and $444 billion worth of global economic activity. Kind of a big deal. The average cost per transaction using Solana Pay and USDC is 0.00025 cents. So it's not a penny. It's not a quarter of a penny. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of a penny. And of course, that is a one-way transaction. There's no uh, credit card chargebacks, which, are, which if you're a merchant, you know all about credit card chargebacks. They're a pain in the butt. Not only does the credit card company charge you like a $25 fee because somebody's trying to get a chargeback on you, which takes your time if you want to fight it and all this BS, it's a real pain in the butt. And something like 1% to 3% of all transactions end up getting some kind of chargeback or fraud uh, call or something like that. You receive a USDC transaction, it's in your account. It doesn't go back out. And of course, your average merchant's paying a lot of money to those credit card companies on average between one5 to 2.5%, which is a pain in the butt. I don't like paying... I, I sell products, I sell courses, I sell newsletters, and we have to pay um, processing fees to these companies. And everybody, everybody has to pay. Everybody has to pay for this. And it's problematic. Whereas you can use Web3 solutions and have it be dramatically cheaper, better for you, better for the merchants. And if merchants can offer you a discount, well, that becomes very interesting, doesn't it? If you could say, hey, look, it's going to be. $50, or let's say it's 100 keep it 100 It's going to be $100 if you use your credit card, or it's going to be $97.50 if you pay with Solana Pay. A lot of people are going to choose the Solana Pay option. This is a big potential partnership for cryptocurrency in general. And we've seen so many of these big stories this year. You know, Solana Pay integrating with Shopify is a big damn deal. And if we see PayPal bring a tenth of their user base, which would be 40 million people into crypto, massive. If you see X, then, you know, formerly known as Twitter, the artist formerly known as Twitter, if you see them bring in 40 million of their 400 million users whenever they launch the payments side of the X app, we're talking about massive fuel for a, a massive bull run. It's like a forest fire, right? The more dead trees and all that stuff you, you put in the forest, the bigger the fire is going to be. Well, we're piling up the kindling. We're throwing in a bunch of pine cones. We're throwing on some dry logs. We're throwing in some barrels of oil. It's going to be a conflagration, guys. It's going to be crazy. There'll be an inferno when it starts going off. The question is, when does that start? 
might not be before the Bitcoin having. We can see the framework is being built for this. Solana also coming out with their only possible on Solana campaign, which I thought was pretty interesting. And basically looking at some of the partnerships that they've been launching and things that are only possible whenever it comes to having tiny, cheap fees. Helium Mobile, a, a different app, custom driving app. We have the Drip team. They dropped 25 million NFTs for only $3,000 in fees, which would be like, I don't know, a million dollars in fees on uh, Ethereum. So we're seeing a lot of interest still in Solana, which is pretty cool. We're seeing users show up. We're seeing developers show up. We're seeing builders show up to Solana. In fact, some of the protocols and stuff that left Solana have actually come back to Solana now, which is quite funny. Also, Brave, Brave Browser, they announced the addition of Solana NFT token gating into Brave Talk, which is pretty cool. So you can use your Solana wallet to set your NFT as an avatar, gate access to holders of a specific collection, automatically assign moderator rights based on NFTs. I mean, that's all pretty cool. So basically, you can have sort of, you know, Zoom kind of chats, but in order to get in, you've got to have that NFT which makes it pretty cool for NFT communities to be able to talk to each other or just crypto communities or whatever nerds who just want to sit around and have their NFT avatars be their, their profile pictures. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat. And before we get into the rest of the Solana news, if you're not signed up yet to the Wealth Master newsletter, you got to get it checked out. It's the best damn newsletter in the cryptocurrency industry. Every single week, we send it three times to your inbox. The latest on crypto news, the latest altcoin alpha, the latest in DeFi and technical analysis, altcoin reports. So much value every single week coming through to your inbox. For example, we just did a big report on Polygon's Paul token. We have a tutorial on how to use GMX V2. We have an altcoin review on HMX, base NFTs, and much, much more. You can join our 75,000 weekly readers by using the link down below in the description to get signed up, or you can go over to thewealthmastery.io, thewealthmastery.io, where you can get signed up to the newsletter and start getting the reports straight to your inbox. Now, more Solana news. Phantom Wallet they have announced a new feature. It lets apps securely authenticate their users with just a Solana address. So this is sign in with Solana. Fast, easy, secure solution to the problem of authenticating users with self-custody wallets. Another great step forward for, well, Web3 technology as well as for the Solana ecosystem. So pretty cool stuff. I like it. I like it. It's nice to see these kind of developments happening. Also, Marinade Finance, a major staking platform on Solana. They said they had a huge 1 million soul stake come into Marinade Native. Now, the native product is only a month old. It's really starting to pick up. So you put your uh, soul stake on autopilot by delegating it to 100 plus of the top performing validators in just one click with no smart contract exposure. So it's a new service from them to make liquid staking on Solana better, more secure, safer, more robust, more decentralized. I like it. Good stuff. Kind of stuff you want to see coming out of a bear market. Stablecoin market cap growth for Solana has been continuing 
to be steady, let's say. We've seen, for example, Avalanche, Avalanche, Avalanche and Polygon falling off a little bit, but uh, Solana has maintained attention. We've been seeing a lot of big VCs and stuff like that talking about Solana. We're seeing enough of the community has stuck around on Solana, so it's got that base potentially for the next market cycle to find some traction amongst the right communities. As well, hey, we got we got we got to give a shout out to Solana. Six months without accidents, I love it. Hundred percent uptime for the last six months. Keep it classy, Solana. I love it. Of course, you got to give Solana a hard time because Solana has quite famously gone down quite a few times. There's been quite a few situations where they've had to sort of flick the light switch on and off a few times to get the thing started back up, you know, yank on the chain a few times. Come on, let's get this sucker started back up. Six months without without uh, any incidents. Good. Question is, can they maintain that during the next bull cycle? And of course, a lot of people talk about Solana these days as getting Ethereum back when it was 80 bucks. You see, back in the last bear market, Ethereum's market cap got down to around $8 billion. Ethereum was around 80 bucks at the time. It didn't stay there for very long, but it did get down there for a brief time. Spent a lot more time around $150 to $200, which is like a $16 to $20 billion market cap. But it's interesting, if you think that all these news stories that we've just talked about have real potential to have a long-term impact on the Solana ecosystem and, of course, the price of the sole asset, then right now we're at an $8.5 billion market cap. It's kind of where Ethereum was in the last cycle, which is an interesting thought, right? Interesting as well to look at the all-time high market cap of Solana. It only got up to $77 billion. It sounds like a lot, but it really isn't that crazy when you compare it to, well, right now in a bear market or the earliest stages of a bull market, Ethereum's got around a $200 billion market cap. So Solana is worth 1 20th of what Ethereum's worth right now. So if you think that Solana is going to be the new paradigm money in the next market cycle, feels like it's trading at a discount. I don't currently own any Solana, by the way. Oh, I, I, I guess I have, like, I have like three soul or something like that sitting in my wallet so that I can, you know, spend it for gas fees. But uh, I don't have any investment levels worth of Solana at the moment. But I can certainly understand why people have been interested in it recently with these kind of news stories coming out. Definitely worth paying attention to. I've been paying attention to Solana. I haven't bought any. I haven't rebought any position, I should say. And I might not. I don't know. I feel like I got too many coins in my portfolio already. But I am encouraged and excited by the success of any companies in this industry. When we see big partnerships, when we see them doing good stuff, that's great. And it should be celebrated by everybody. This whole sort of chain maximalism. My chain's the best chain. Every other chain sucks. I don't get it. I don't agree with it. I think it's BS. I think we need to cheer on others' successes. And when they bring people into this industry, it's good for everybody. If that Shopify partnership ends up onboarding millions of merchants, it's good for literally everybody in this market. So that's something to keep in mind. Now let's change up a little bit. Let's talk about bricks. Big, big news coming out of the BRICS group this week. Of course, BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the new geopolitical competitor to the West. 
and they've just added six new members. This is massive. We're talking about some very, very big things happening here on the geopolitical stage that have the potential impact to rewrite the face of global politics in the coming decades. And that might sound a bit hyperbolic, but when you realize the numbers behind what's going on, you see the trajectory of what's going on, you start to look and realize like, hey, wait a second, something's going on here. BRICS has added six new members. Now they're officially joining on January 1st of 2024, a few months away. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt, Argentina, the UAE, and Ethiopia. Pretty big stuff right there. Now, I think one of the most important things, and this kind of excludes Egypt and Ethiopia from the conversation a little bit, although Egypt and Ethiopia, of course, also important countries, especially in uh, the Northern Africa region, without a doubt. You know, Egypt's got a booming population, all this kind of stuff. Okay. Important countries. Argentina, also great, big food producing country. You know, they're very impactful. Uh, one of the biggest commodity producers out there. So, you know, a great addition as well. And of course, Argentina, especially if there's some kind of new reference rate for BRICS currency in the future, could really benefit from this partnership. They're already starting to do bilateral trade with China and Chinese yuan, so on and so forth. I think we'll see more of that as part of the story today as well. But the big thing here, I think we have a new oil cartel in town. And that new oil cartel is not on the U.S. dollar standard. They're not down with the USD. So let's look at this. Saudi Arabia is number two producer in the world, joining BRICS January 1st. Russia's number three producer in the world, already member of BRICS. China's number five, already member of BRICS. Iran's number seven, joining on January 1st. The UAE, number eight, joining on January 1st. Brazil's number nine, already member of BRICS. So with the new members... BRICS is going to control global oil markets. It will be as impactful as OPEC. It's big stuff. Big stuff. Some of the biggest members in OPEC, of course, here as part of this grouping. But together, they control about 80% of world oil production. I mean, that's big news. That's big, big news. We got a new oil cartel in town. And as well as being a massive oil cartel, all these countries combined, massive food producers for soy, corn, beef, coffee, stuff like that, rice, um, as well as massive timber producers, massive gold producers, massive steel producers, massive manufacturing potential. Big thing. The BRICS group is expanding out. It's going to be 11 countries now. And of course, what's interesting too is that the BRICS group now controls the most important sea lanes basically on the planet, except for the Panama Canal, of course. Panama Canal is very important, but they control the Suez Canal thanks to their new partnership with Egypt. And of course, they control the Persian Gulf. Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Iran, the three major exporters out of the Persian Gulf, minus Iraq, of course, but they are now joining with the BRICS group. Big, big implications here for 
global politics, to be honest. Also, of course, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia pointing out that uh, the kingdom is the largest BRICS trading partner in the Middle East in total bilateral trade with countries of the groups exceeding $160 billion in 2022. And that trade balance is going to be moving to yuan, moving to rubles. Potentially, we're going to see some gold-backed trades at some point in the future. And while we just had six new members announced for the BRICS group, there's over 40 countries that want to join. Well, I guess... 34 countries now, or 34 plus countries that want to join. That's a lot of countries. It's a lot of countries that are, as this article points out, sick and tired of the Western-led world order. They're looking for an alternative. BRICS is offering an alternative. And BRICS is, once they get those new members, this is way more powerful than the G7. Bigger GDP. More resources, more manufacturing, more population, more GDP growth. It's pretty crazy stuff. Just saying, guys. Now, before we get into the rest of this BRICS story, just a quick note. If you are a crypto investor and you want to take advantage of the coming bull market, whenever that may be, by investing in altcoins, which tend to be the biggest earners during market cycles. Bitcoin's great. We all love Bitcoin. The big boy might give us a 5x, a 6x between now and the market cycle top. Altcoins can do 10, 20, 40, 50, 100x potentially. But you got to be able to find good ones. So that's why I made Mastering Altcoin Investing. It's the kind of course that I wish I had had when I started investing in altcoins. We cover the basics, the fundamentals, the technical aspects, the philosophical ideas behind altcoins how to find token sales, how to get airdrops, different approaches to investing, market cycles, strategies on buying, strategies on selling, trader psychology, and much, much more. You'll find a link for that in the description of this conversation, or you can go to the wealthmasteryio slash courses where you can learn more about that or our Bitcoin course as well. Now, let's talk about a BRICS currency. Now, BRICS currency might be on hold for a little bit, now, Brazil's president called on Wednesday for BRICS nations to create a common currency for trade and investment between each other as a means for reducing their vulnerability to dollar exchange rate fluctuations. This previously has been talked about as potentially being either gold-backed or gold-pegged. Potentially, a basket of commodities could be the peg for this. That would be gold and silver and oil, steel, corn, wheat, whatever it might be a basket of commodities, real-world stuff backing a potential BRICS currency. We'll see. They didn't announce a BRICS currency at this meeting. Maybe next year we'll get a BRICS currency. I'm sure it's in their plans for some point. But one thing that has come out is that we are going to see more currency exchanges not happening in dollars. Brazil's president doesn't believe nations that don't use the dollar should be forced to trade in the currency. He's also advocating for a common currency in the Mercosur block of South American countries. Now, South Africa said that the BRICS currency is not on the agenda for this summit. India also saying not super keen on a BRICS currency right now. Uh, Russia's president saying 
focusing more on trading in national currencies between the countries. So there's interest there, but it's not happening quite yet. I think it will happen at some point. But the big thing is that they don't even need to launch a BRICS currency. And that would just be like a high-level trade currency. It wouldn't be the currency people use in a day-to-day -day in the street, right? It would be just for trade settlement and stuff like that, which is why it'd be interesting to have it backed by commodities. But if we see India buying oil from the UAE and not using dollars, which they've already done, we covered that story. If we see Saudi Arabia taking oil deals um, from China in Yuan, which we're already seeing, it's already being talked about, where does that leave the U.S. dollar? Countries are increasingly moving away from the U.S. dollar, and the BRICS groups' currencies are not going to be U.S. dollar-denominated trades. They're going to be trading in their own domestic currencies, or they're going to be trading in a future BRICS currency, which will be backed by gold and whatever else, which makes a lot of sense. At some point, the swapping of domestic currencies is probably better to have a, a bridge currency or something like that, which would be a BRICS commodity-backed currency to make it more e even playing field between the countries. But that is problematic long-term for the U.S. dollar. What happens when countries aren't demanding to be paid in dollars for their oil anymore? They're saying, hey, you know what? You can pay in yuan. We'll take some gold if you got it. If you want to pay in rupees, that's fine. That changes the dynamic of what's happening in the world dramatically. Because one of the reasons why America has maintained so much power over the years is because of the reserve status of the dollar. And if that starts to be eroded, which is already being eroded, that could spell long-term trouble for U.S. debt. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, let's talk about NVIDIA. Let's talk about NVIDIA. So, NVIDIA came out absolutely swinging yesterday, going crazy, seeing a big move in that market. NVIDIA topping estimates for sales and absolutely rallying to a new all-time high, which is pretty crazy. NVIDIA has uh, gone nuts, so to speak. It's been pretty crazy. Huge rally, new all-time high. This has been, of course, the breakaway stock of the year. But I want to not just talk about NVIDIA here. I want to talk about NVIDIA as well as a new upcoming competitor to NVIDIA, which is promising to be the biggest IPO of 2023, which is ARM. More on that in a minute. But NVIDIA topped estimates and says sales will jump by 170% this quarter. What company does that? That's crazy, man. Of course, it's all driven by demand for AI chips. AI chips, the best kind of chips. Goes great with guacamole. This is pretty crazy stuff. NVIDIA is the company that has been shocking the investing world this year, without a doubt. It's been pretty damn crazy to see how much interest NVIDIA has been getting. And while we've seen an incredible rally for NVIDIA as Wasteland Capital points here, flashback from a year ago, and NVIDIA was the single largest short position among hedge funds and semiconductors were the number one shorted sector. No one had even heard of AI at that point. Or no, no, the VCs weren't talking about it. The hedge funds weren't talking about it. That's crazy, man. Also, uh, Gergovin here pointing out, Kathy Woods, ARK Invest, 
sold their NVIDIA shares around like $150. Of course, the price now over $500. They own 800,000 shares of NVIDIA. Sold it near the bottom. Investors lost hundreds of millions in potential profits for those who were holding ARC Innovation or other ARC funds that had exposure to NVIDIA. It just goes to show, and it's not to throw shade at ARC Invest or anyone else, just goes to show everybody's just trying to find their way through these markets. Everybody's susceptible to exhaustion, fatigue, panic selling, losing faith in assets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even the most famous money managers can fall victim to that. You know, the amount of people who bought NVIDIA at, I don't know, a dollar, and held it till now are like almost nobody. Very, very few people. A lot of people now are chasing NVIDIA, trying to get a good, good position in. It's over a trillion dollar market cap now. And hey, look, AI is going to be massive, beyond belief. And microchips are super important. But you have to realize that nothing goes in a straight line up forever. At some point, People will cool off on it. People will say, maybe there's better returns elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera. It's something to think about if you're chasing the NVIDIA hype right now. But still, very impressive performance from NVIDIA, without a doubt. Pretty crazy to see it putting in such strong gains here in the market. So I, love, I do love to see that. It is pretty impressive to watch that hype really cementing itself into a strong rally for a an asset. Also, interestingly, not only is uh, NVIDIA far exceeding sales expectations, but they also approved a $25 billion share buyback, which it sounds like a lot, but then you remember they have an over trillion dollar market cap. So it's like 2.5% of the total market cap they're looking to buy back or a little bit less even because the market cap's over a trillion dollars now. But still, Still, pretty impressive number. That's going to definitely provide more wind in the sails for a further NVIDIA price rally. Strong fundamentals, strong narrative, AI, all that stuff. Doing a big stock buyback. Worth keeping an eye on. I don't own any NVIDIA right now. Obviously, I wish I had bought NVIDIA when it was cheaper. But I don't have uh, any stock exposure right now to microchips, semiconductors, AI. I need to get some. Some of the things to do. Some of the things to do. Which brings us to SoftBank's arm, which is filing for an IPO. Could be the biggest IPO of 2023. Could be the third biggest IPO ever. That's pretty crazy. Arm, of course, is a chip designer because, of course, it is very popular right now. That's from SoftBank. SoftBank, of course, has been running Arm for quite a while now. But if you look at the biggest uh, IPOs, we had Alibaba at 25 billion, Meta at 16 billion, Arm potentially coming in at $10 billion. That's crazy. So what do you need to know about this upcoming IPO? Well, what is ARM? ARM is a semiconductor company that designs ARM-based processes. ARM is an acronym for Advanced Risk Machines. Risk stands for Reduced Instruction Set Computer. So a special kind of computer architecture created to simplify how computers receive the code and makes them run. The company mainly focuses on CPUs, although it's expanded into GPUs. Uh, ARM-based processes are unique in that they function as an integrated component of the computer's build itself rather than being a discrete uh, relative to other hardware. 
This is called a system on a chip. Pretty interesting. As they say, the average person may not have heard of ARM, but if they've ever used a modern mobile device, then they've benefited directly from an ARM processor. They can be found in devices in big names like Qualcomm, Samsung, and Apple. But ARM also creates units for specialized functions outside of typical consumer products. Now, the three-year earnings for ARM, look back, they have a, a compound annual growth rate of 16.2%, which is a nice number. Average gross margin of 90 freaking 5%. That's a margin, man. Holy cow. Holy cow. Uh, as they point out here, ARM's financials seem to be in a generally healthy place. That's crazy, man. How does ARM make money? An important distinction between ARM and other semiconductor companies is that ARM does not manufacture its products. Instead, ARM makes money by licensing its designs to other firms, which then take it upon themselves to build and implement these processes into their own products. This is critical in analyzing ARM for two reasons. First, this business model means that the margins and drivers will be quite different relative to peers in the semiconductor space. Second, a licensing approach like this also partially explains why the 2020 NVIDIA uh, deal fell through. Given how many major consumer products are driven by ARM processors, a combination of its CPUs with NVIDIA's GPUs would have given the combined company tremendous oligopic power. For investors looking to develop comparable analysis, you can consider adding the typical semiconductor producers that most investors know, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, and TSMC, among many others. Of course, also backed by some of the biggest companies out there, Alphabet, Samsung, Apple, Microsoft, TSMC, Intel, NVIDIA. Crazy stuff. I highlight the ARM IPO because, once again, we see massive uh, new well, IPO is coming out. The company's been around for a while, of course, but a new IPO coming to the market. And it's an interesting time to bring it out an IPO to the market because the market, I feel like this is going to be a big test of market sentiment, the ARM IPO coming out. How risk on is the market right now? Are they risk on enough to jump into a $10 billion IPO? Time will tell. Time will tell. But I feel like if that IPO does well, it could feed more risk appetite in the market. But it is a bit ballsy launching an IPO when the markets have been like this. Now they're launching it in a sector that has outperformed. Look at NVIDIA. But we shall see, of course, how it plays out in the end. Still, though, interesting IPO. Interesting to see a big IPO like this coming in 2023, despite all the fear and stuff that has been around in markets.